Welcome to the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And in this week's episode, I'm sitting down with Nyok, who's the owner of Mama High's Restaurant, opening up in the Salt City Market. Well, I had a wonderful time today in this conversation with this episode. Absolutely enjoyed it. I really can't say enough about it. Great conversation about a lot of different things, including food and the restaurant industry in Syracuse and all this other sorts of stuff. So I know that you're going to love this episode. Just do me a favor when you listen to it and you say, man, I really love that episode. Anthony was right. Then go ahead and hit the subscribe button uh, to the podcast. That way you know the moment a new episode drops. And then leave us a review and let us know what you think of the Eat Local New York podcast. The Eat Local New York card for 2021 is getting ready to launch. Make sure you stay up to date. Head to eatlocalnystate.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, where we upload the video of every single episode. I think that's all of the social platforms that we post to consistently. Anyways, go follow us there. Head over to eatlocalnystate.com and you can check it out. And you can also purchase your card there. If you don't know what the Eat Local New York card is, it is a discount card to over 100 locally owned restaurants where whenever you go out to eat and you spend $25 or more, you show your card, your server, or when you pay for your bill, you get $5 off of your meal. And you can use that card as many times as you want over and over and over and over and over again at any of the restaurants you want to for an entire year. It's such an amazing value. And most importantly, it helps to support the local restaurant community right here in New York State. So head over to eatlocalnystate.com, purchase your card today. I also want to give a big shout out to one of our sponsors for this week's episode, Gear's Restaurant Equipment Supplies. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. If you own a restaurant in central New York and you're not doing business with Gear's, you need to be. They are the local source, the local source. For any of your restaurant needs, desires, wants, are you building a brand new restaurant? They can design the entire thing for you. Redesigning your kitchen, they can do it. Need new equipment, they can do it. Smallware, supplies, tabletop, furniture, anything and everything you need for a restaurant, Gearhars has it. You can find them online at gearharsequipment.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. But you can also stop in and see them at their showroom and store that's also open to the public, located over at 220 Teal Avenue in Syracuse. So go check out Gearhar's Restaurant Equipment and Supplies. Well, let's get into it with this week's episode of the podcast. Your background's in marketing? Uh, no. Because <laughs> I was like, you went to study <laughs> theology. Where did the marketing come from? <laughs> I originally, out of high school, I went to school. When I was in Ohio, I went to school uh, at this place called the Recording Workshop. Oh, okay. And that was sound engineering. Okay. And, oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. And so I did that. And uh, besides this, I've never done anything with that degree. <laughs> 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 and then... Um, I went, I, when I moved back here, I mm-hmm. opened a furniture store, my own, for about a year. Where? That was uh, behind the Pier 1 Imports on Erie Boulevard. There was a furniture store there? there was I don't a, even remember the piano stores right by there. So there is a, uh, there's a building that sits back there, and there's a gym-like equipment place on yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. And the bottom and behind that, there's like an empty space. It was a shitty, shitty, shitty furniture <laughs> store. Uh, um, if you know, you know the telephone pole signs you see that's like Queen Mattress. Queen, yeah, for one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me back in the day. <laughs> All right. 
So it was a shitty, awful, awful thing. But I was 21 at the time. And you needed a job. And I had a job and like the guy I was working with, it's a very long story, but <laughs> long story short, we wound up opening a furniture store. Uh, we had it for a year. Yeah. Uh, my business partner was a horrible human being <laughs> and, uh, and I was 21 and didn't know any better. Aww. And we were talking about theology just before we started. Like yeah. part of my growing up was also... Uh, being taught in churches that it's like God wants you to be blessed. So mm-hmm. that means that if you want to have a mansion, God's going to give you a mansion. Uh-huh. And, you know, and he's not just going to like, you're not going to wake up one day and there's going to be keys on your, you know, dining room table. It's like this new house, right. but it's going to be through these like, you know, avenues. Right. And so when the possibility to open a furniture store came about, I was like, this is God. God <laughs> wants me to be a millionaire, and he's going to do it through me opening this really shitty, shitty furn- furniture store. <laughs> now, in reality, what was happening was that wasn't anything to do with spirituality. Mm-hmm. It was just the way of the, like, something, you know, things happen. Part of growing up. <laughs> right. I knew this person, and they, you know, like, and that was that. But the spiritual aspect of it was... My brother at the time, my older brother was like, you shouldn't do this. My parents at the time were like, you shouldn't do this. My pastor at the time was like, you shouldn't do this. You did it anyway. And I was like, no, that's just God testing me. God (laughs) wants me to be rich one day through this really crappy furniture store. And it wasn't the case. But you got some good life lessons out of it, right? I did. I mean, I learned, I mean, at 21 years old, there were, you know, there was definitely a lot of life lessons learned. (laughs) through that horrific place. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's, yeah. it is, we make decisions. It's part of life. Things happen. You know? Yeah, definitely. But I, I think the key is you learn from it. Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some of those lessons I've repeated <laughs> later on in life, but, uh, but yeah, definitely learned from it, you know, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things it's funny how this, how these are connected. Um, uh, Towards the end of having that, uh, there was this, uh, uh, his name's Scott Schultz. He's a really like a phenomenal um, martial artist, but uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu? teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had come into our furniture store and just this weird circumstance at the time I was really into UFC. Uh, like a lot I of, love UFC. Do you? Yeah. yeah, I have like almost like a secret crush on UFC. <laughs> really? I started getting back into it recently during quarantine. I was like, I'm watching the fights on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So Scott came in and um, uh, we were, I think I was wearing back then, like the Affliction t-shirts were really cool. So yeah. I was wearing one of those and he had this, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you call it school to teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and he said uh if you're interested like he needed a couch and he was like if you want we could trade I'll teach you for like a year for free and you'll give give me this couch yeah <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> uh I'm really glad I did I did it for a year I really enjoyed, enjoyed it. it um yeah. but Scott uh was a white guy but practicing uh Buddhism mm-hmm. and uh, I did his like noon class his afternoon class and it was like always like a bunch of cops that were in there. And really? Yeah, a lot oh. of cops in there. And he would always play like this really weird like flute music, you know, <laughs> during it. Zen yeah, exactly. Sound. Right. <laughs> he was not like the over, he used to fight, but he was not the over aggressive like, let me show you how to rip somebody's neck off, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but he and I would always have conversations because, you know, a Christian and a practicing Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And he turned me onto this book. And I believe the title was called 
practicing Buddha, practicing Christ. Oh, it's like Buddha, like Christ. Like Buddha, like Christ. Tipikan. Yes. Yeah. He's actually my uncle's master. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. My uncle, my oldest uncle, Gohai, okay. uh, he went to, he wanted to be a monk. Okay. Um, and he studied at the monastery and he went up to Hui hmm. and that's where he met um, wow. Tipikan. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, he learned from him, but at that point, <clears> Thich <throat> Nhat was very active, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of social justice. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't always around, yeah. but, like, his, his, like, his second in command right. yeah. basically taught my uncle. That's wild. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I love his teachings. Mm-hmm. I think his teachings are great because one thing I, I think one thing I really love about his teachings is the fact that it's practical. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he explains it, but it's it's everyday life things yeah. that you can use. You know, right. it's not like completely far fetched where it's like, right, doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I'm a big, big fan. He's in yeah. <clears throat> he's in Vietnam now, and mm. I mean, like he's health wise, he hasn't done he hasn't been really well. Okay, but he's still alive. Yeah, but I think he's, you know, he's much slower now he doesn't he doesn't go out as much and Mm -hmm. things like that you know his branch um Mm. there's a place um called blue cliff monastery Uh it's in the catskills oh really that oh really yeah he's got two locations no is it three locations in the states he's got the one in the catskills he's got another one somewhere down south Uh and then the other one oh three the third one is in france okay wow yeah wow plum village is in in france that's wild yeah huh yeah, it's really it's, it's a small world. That's such a connection. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you should go check out um, Blue Cliff. Yeah, I will. it's beautiful because it's in the Catskills. It's like you go all the way up in the mountains. Mm. It's right up there, and there's <clears throat> practicing Buddhist monks, and okay. they you know they study there, they practice there, and they yeah. have um, like free sit-ins every. I think it's I can't remember if it's on Saturdays or Sundays, but. Mm. You can just come in and take part, and they'll, cool. you know, they'll talk about something, and then they open up for discussion, yeah. and everyone takes part. Huh. And, I mean, like, they do a lot of mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's cool. It was hard for my son, because, you know, he can't sit still. Yeah, so. right, yeah. <laughs> we went there, and he's just like, can we go now? Can we go now? <laughs> and, you know, when you, when you do, when they do these walks uh-huh. in silence, right, mm-hmm. my son's like, i um a friend of mine that i worked with at cafe kubal uh uh, he was only there for a little bit but his name is john mcdaniels okay and uh did he which one did he work at the one over in i was the uh wholesale manager and marketing manager so i worked out of the main office okay and then john was the delivery driver at the time so he was also out of the main office okay. and so he delivered like to our cafes and all that kind of stuff yeah and um, uh, John is uh, very much into like just experiencing different things, mm-hmm. like experimenting with different things. And so um, he is vegan. Not uh-huh. that he's experimenting with that, but he's been a vegan for a while. Right. Uh, and then um, he was like trying like different fasting. Like he would like only eat like three days a week at one point. Oh my gosh. Like just all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And he did this retreat. I forget where it was. I believe it was somewhere in uh new york state like upstate new york Mm -hmm. and but it was a 30-day retreat but there was like no talking for those 30 days right i wonder if that's at blue cliff they do silent meditation quite a bit okay um so they they do various types of retreats and they have these they have these great ones um they're for young 
okay. people yeah. um, just to get together and meditate. And yeah. it's very cool. I've, mm. I haven't been. It's just mostly because I have a family right. and to do a retreat. You know, it's abandoning your child and your husband for a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, just, it's just a lot of scheduling. But yeah. yeah, I've been wanting to. I just haven't had a chance. But I think, mm. I think silence is something, I think in our culture, American culture, we don't practice well with. Correct. You know, we don't have the patience for it. And I think what's been really interesting is like with this whole COVID thing mm-hmm. where you're home mm-hmm. and then some people are just kind of going crazy. Like, <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with myself? You know, like, and I, it's just funny because people I've, I've talked to friends and family who, you know, they picked up different skills mm-hmm. or hobbies. They're reading a lot more. They're spending a ton of time with their family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I think in life it's really important sometimes just to, just to slow down and breathe and just you know relax yeah. yeah that's something i think american culture we don't we don't do enough of we're always on the go always have making money always busy with work yeah. go 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 all the time and i think sometimes it it, it can backfire yeah it can mm-hmm. and i feel like uh i agree yeah, especially with covid mm-hmm. during quarantine we slow down like crazy mm-hmm. my wife has been working from home she's still 95% of the time working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to do podcasts anymore, right? Yeah. I was doing some remotely, but they weren't really working, so we didn't really do much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working from home for about a month, but the rest of the time I was pretty much in the office. Mm-hmm. But I really wasn't doing a lot for this. We weren't eating out hardly ever. Except Which for, is great sometimes. Right. It's good yeah. to, to cook, right? It was great. We I've really got our my pizza recipe down. <laughs> Uh, I got that down. I was like doing sourdoughs and a lot. And, um, I was looking, I was taking care of our lawn like never before. And I started looking into gardening and that Mm -hmm. led to composting. And then that led to us getting chickens. Oh, that's so cool. How many chickens do you have? So we have eight. We, yeah. Where do you live? I I live in the city. You live in the city? So it's super illegal to have chickens in the city. (laughs) That's what I was wondering. Are you out in Fabius? Or? No, we're, we're right on the north side. Um, and so we, uh, I, I was looking into it, and um, I wound up reaching out to Brady Faith Farms because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they're in the south side. And so I called her up, and I was like, listen, I know you're, you probably have special you know, permits and whatever, but um, what was it like? Because I want to get some chickens for the backyard. And yeah. uh, she said, I have plenty of friends who have chi- that live in the city who have chickens and no one's ever said anything to them. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, we'll just go for it. You know, like yeah. if uh, if the city comes after me, I'll just say, listen, you know. And of course, you're announcing it to them now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now they know. Um, I'll just say, listen, do you know who I am? No. <laughs> um, do you have a big enough yard? We have a big yard. When we When we bought our house... Um, there was an empty lot next to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the house that was there, this home headquarters company bought it uh, to rehab it. They couldn't, so they tore it down, mm-hmm. and then they didn't rebuild it. Oh, and okay. so um, I was lucky enough to buy that lot from them for $1. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's a huge deal. Yeah, they just wanted to get rid of it because they were. it was nothing for them. They were just paying to have the lawn cut and the sidewalk And maintaining shoveled. all the time. Right, yeah. 
So I called them and I said, you know, do you want to sell it? And it was just, it worked out. Um, it was like the one time that I was quiet that it, it benefited me because <laughs> she said, uh, you know, well, how much do you want to, you know, how much are you willing to pay for it? And I said, well, how much do you want to get for it? For it hey. And she said, $1. We just, <laughs> I just have to get rid of it. So That's awesome. Yeah. So I bought it. And so now we have this really big yard. Uh, for the north side. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's great. I'd spent like a month building the coop and fenced in a little you run. Fenced it, yeah. 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 And they have a whole, like we have chicken wires, like a roof covering for them on the outside. So that way, you know, hawks and stuff don't come down. Um, but it's been great. They're about two months old mm-hmm. and they're all Rhode Island reds. They're only for eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, I, I won't say it's been fun because the chickens don't really do anything. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of cleanup work. It is. Uh, so my routine with them is basically let them out at like 6 or 6.30. Mm-hmm. Just open their door. Their food and the water is already outside. They all come down and eat yeah. and drink. And um, and then I open up their, you know, get in there uh, with like a little access door and clean out their poop from the night before and put it in a bucket and throw it in our composter. And uh, that's it. Honestly. Really? And then at, at like 8 o'clock, 8.30, they go inside on their own. I go outside, close their door, and that's it. Oh. But, yeah. uh, so there's not a whole, there's not a heck of a lot. I mean. It's, it, but it's a lot of poop. Yeah, it's a lot of poop. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a, what I meant by That's the worst work. part. Yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> um, but apparently their poop is great for. Oh, your vegetables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so our ground, nobody's ever grown anything there. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to somebody who was telling me the lead levels in Syracuse and the ground are so bad that you really shouldn't or can't grow directly into the dirt. You need to have really? like a raised bed. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, neither did I. Mm-hmm. I haven't investigated it. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what this person told me. So, <laughs> um, but they're a smart person. So, uh, so it's true. And uh, well, you have enough poop. I in know the gravel to help. <laughs> yeah, I have enough poop. <laughs> How much lead's in poop? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, not a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh-huh. But you shouldn't. You know, you should not treat them as pets. And, like, pick them up and pet them and yeah. hang out with them. You know, they carry salmonella, like, on their bodies. Right. So, um, so anytime we're around them, we immediately, like, go inside and wash our wash hands. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, it should be pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Eight chickens. Yeah. My, my uncle, <clears throat> my youngest uncle, mm-hmm. has tons of animals. <laughs> and he lives in the city. Okay. But not in Syracuse. So yeah. I'm actually from Nebraska. Are you really? Yeah. Okay. So he he's always taking in stray animals too all huh. the time. Yeah. But he had chickens, pigeons, hmm. <clears throat> every I mean every single bird you can imagine he's had in his backyard. Wow. And stuff, and it's just hmm. it's just wild. Yeah. But he's he's the best person to if some animal is injured, mm-hmm. he would totally help it recover. That's cool. And he's so good at it. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. My wife's dad is a veterinarian, mm-hmm. and they're originally from Boonville, so about an hour and a half north. Yeah. And a uh, really small town, but yeah, he's a big animal vet is what he specializes in. And um, yeah, so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like following in the family footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> I make fun of myself all the time, and I post pictures on Facebook and say, it's, you know, I'm a farmer now. <laughs> um, Somewhat. Uh, yeah. All right. 
But yeah, we did it. And during quarantine, I was I kept saying like, this is great. I'm going to start slowing down now. I'm not going to do as much. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my wife, I feel so bad for her because uh, now that quarantine is over, I haven't slowed down. Um, <laughs> If anything, I'm doing maybe more. Actually, we are doing more. We're getting ready to start a coffee company at the end of September. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And um, it'll be a small thing. You know, we're not going to have a... We're not going to advertise it in Syracuse. So are you planning to distribute the coffee beans? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, I'm buying them from a coffee roaster. It's our packaging. It's our name. It's our brand. I'm going to have them online uh, for sale. And we're just going to run Facebook ads mm-hmm. in other parts of the country because mm-hmm. uh, the last thing Syracuse needs is another coffee company. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, so we're doing that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so if anything, I've added that along with it. <laughs> so I've added a coffee company and eight chickens. So Okay. Yeah. That's not, that's not really slowing down much. It's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Did you slow down a lot during quarantine? I mean, how was I, it for you? I did. I actually I actually went home to my mom's for like almost two months. Oh, wow. Where's she from? Nebraska. Mm. Yeah. So we were in okay. Nebraska for about two months. And um, really also, we went out because my one of my cousins passed away. Oh. And we went out for the funeral. Okay. So, of course, we were planning just to drive in and drive out. Yeah. You know, we just, during that time, it was, you know... We didn't want to fly. Yeah. So we packed very little, mm-hmm. you know, just like a day or two's worth of clothes. Yeah. We got there and immediately after the funeral, New York State shut down. Mm. And, you know, at work, we were both told you're working from home from now on. Mm. And then my mom said, well, what's the sense of going back to New York? And yeah. Nebraska at that time, the numbers were hardly mm. much. Right. Yeah. So my mom's like, just stay here. There's no point in you going back to New York. You're mm-hmm. working remote. You can do it online, you know. Yeah. And we're like, okay, fine. But I think what was great about it, too, was I really got a chance to spend a lot of time with my parents. Mm. Um, because I haven't really lived at home since I was 18. Okay. I mean, pretty much, like, I went off to college, and then I got a job, and I never lived at home yeah. half since. Mm. Um, so it was a nice time to be with my mom. Mm-hmm. Also to really work on her recipes. Yeah. Um, so we worked on a lot of dishes and mm. she just, you know, my mom is a type of person and a lot of, I feel like a lot of moms are like this, you know, a pinch of this, a dash of this and, you know, just throw this in and <laughs> it, they make it sound so easy, but when I'm making it, it never, ever <laughs> tastes like hers, right? So I always know I'm doing something wrong. And so when I was working with her, I saw these little nuances mm. that, she didn't speak out loud to me about. She just does it. <laughs> it's like, oh, mom, why'd you take that off the stove and then put it back on the stove? Oh, because if you do it this way, you know, the meat would be blah, blah, blah. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, gee, thanks for telling me. <laughs> no wonder mine always turned out really dry, you know? So there's like all these little steps that yeah. she would never mention. Huh. And then being with her for two months really, you know, I got, I got a chance to see a lot of little things that I was missing in yeah. her cooking. Hmm. Um, so that helped a lot. And then, you know, my my parents got to spend a lot of time with my son, That's which fun. they don't get to as much. Yeah. And, um and, you know, make fun of my husband. Like, that's her, fi- that's her joy in life, I think. <laughs> she yeah. picks on him all the time. I mean, he's Italian. So, you know, there's, there's all these little things that she'll make fun of him. And he's gotten to know my parents so well, and he just adores them. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, 
uh, you know, for me, when I was younger, it was always about, you know, our, my culture is so important to me. Mm. And so I was always very aware of, you know, preserving the culture. I mean, like, you know, we're all, all of us kids, you know, we're born here or, um, you know, came when we were babies. Mm. But the traditions are so significant to us yeah. that we, we want to keep it, maintain it. Mm. So I think like my parents growing up, they were always like, you have to marry, you know, a Vietnamese man. You must marry a Vietnamese man, you know. And, and it became such a uh, just annoying, nagging thing. <laughs> and I think, you know, as I became an adult, I never really, I mean, I dated a few Asian men, but mm. otherwise I dated people from various backgrounds. And I think at, you know, marrying age, quote unquote, <laughs> um, my parents are like, are you going to get married? Have you found someone? You know, do you, do you want us to set you up and things like that? And, and you know, it's, it's not uncommon for a lot of Asian families to set their kids up with their right. friends, kids and things like that. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and, and I think I was really hesitant because to introduce my, my husband at the, you know, now to my parents because he wasn't Asian. Mm. And there was just this fear of my parents being so heartbroken, mm. you know, and that he's not going to want our kids to speak Vietnamese or learn yeah. Vietnamese or practice the culture and things like that. Mm. Um, so it took me a while to come to a realization that it's, you know, people who aren't from your culture can practice your culture too. Yeah. And, you know, I think mm. the most important thing is that, you know, as long as they respect your values and your traditions, then that is key. Yeah. You know, that's like the most important th thing. And, mm. and then when you really think about it, it's not a cultural thing anymore. It just becomes a human being thing. Right. Right. Because if you're both Caucasians and you have different values, it's going to clash yeah. Right. So it's finding common grounds and finding, um, you know, just being respectful. Right. That's so interesting. I've never thought about it uh, this way until you were just talking about that. But like I grew up thinking, uh, being told, um, like there's a Bible verse, don't be unequally yoked. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and, it's, you know, it's I don't from what I remember, I don't think it's talking specifically to marriage, but. I was always taught, like, you have to marry a Christian woman. Right. You have to marry some. Yeah. And my wife, Rebecca, at the time, she grew up in a Christian home. They were, I don't know, not, Epis not Episcopalian, one of the Protestant, you know, Lutherans? things. Right. Something like that, <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, but she was agnostic. And even though I wasn't, like, going to church and really practicing my faith at the time when we met, mm -hmm. it was just one of those things that was, like, ingrained, you know. In your mind, right? right? Yeah. And so we both had um, uh, uh, holdups when we first started dating. And yeah. One of, mine was that she wasn't a Christian, uh -huh. <laughs> and hers was that I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> and so I wound up quitting uh, cigarettes, uh -huh. uh, like cold turkey. And uh, eventually she wound up becoming a Christian, mm -hmm. or at least saying that she was. So, but like, it was the same thing. Like I was thinking to myself, like my sister, my brother, I have a brother, a sister-in-law and a sister that are all pastors. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, like, how in the hell am I going to introduce, not just introduce, but like say, hey, we're in a kind of serious relationship. By the way, she doesn't believe that there's a God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I knew that wasn't going to go over well. Right. Um. And so, yeah, just really interesting, you know, the kind of, you know, similarities. Yeah. yeah. I have to restart the cameras real quick. Oh. <laughs> uh, just because they have a...
30 minute time limit. Oh, they do. On okay. their recording. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a good thing because that means that they're less expensive. Uh, just from a tax purpose. But, uh, yeah. I redo, redo those. That's why I'm looking for like an, a paid interner. Oh, are you? Assistant, yeah. <gasps> you, you're looking for a paid intern. So just somebody <gasps> that I can pay like a couple hundred bucks a month to come in here when I do the podcast and basically do that portion of it. Well, so are you interested? So there's, there's a person I know. She's actually an illustration major, uh -huh. but her interest is animation. Mm. But she's very good with devices and yeah. technology and things like that. Yeah. But I know that she's, she's my husband's student. She's from China. Okay. She's very talented, but right now, you know, it's hard for even an American to find a job, let alone foreign students. Yeah. And so she's just been looking for jobs left and right, and she can't find a job to yeah. stay. So she needs to find a job so she can stay. Yeah. Would you be interested? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. She's she's really smart. She's funny, and her yeah. work is really cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Her stuff is really cool. I mean, she wants to go into animation, but it's not like movies are yeah. doing well at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We, I could probably, because we have an employee now, we, it's, she's treated as a contractor, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure we could figure it out if she needed, like, Yeah, because I think thing. for her, it's like, for her to stay in this country, she has to have, she has to have a job. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a full-time job, but it has yeah. to be, like, a job. Yeah. Yeah, and the employer has to fill out the paperwork and say, yes, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm hiring her. Right. But, I mean, I can hook you guys up. Yeah, you can that'd be meet great. her and see if you like her or not and yeah. go from there. That'd be awesome. Yeah? For sure. Cool. Yeah. It's so funny. My husband... Um, he teaches illustration at SU, and oh, okay. he's a cartoonist. He's, oh, wow. He's, um, what's funny is that he's kind of got this gathering of student, foreign students mm -hmm. who um, just kind of follow him. <laughs> like, you know, if he's teaching a certain class, they're in, you know. And then at one point, he just had all these people from China viewing his site, mm. right, because you can see where they're coming from. And, yeah. and so what happened that year was that he told me, you know, some of his foreign students are – they they don't really open up and they don't mm. really talk much and you know they're they're sh a bit shy about the language yeah. and how you know they have a thick accent and things like that and so I think uh, I said to him I was like you know why don't you just invite them over for dinner like mm. they can come over for dinner we can chit chat it'll help them open up yeah. and you know I'm here I'm Asian make you know they yeah. can feel a little more relaxed right because mm. he he loves helping his students just get to the next level. Yeah. And in order to do that, they have to communicate with him, right. you know, and he felt like there was just this wall. Right. Mm. So we invited mm. a handful, I think we invited like 10 or 12 students to our house for yeah. dinner. Um, and it was actually, it was for Christmas. Mm. Wow. It was for Christmas. It was our big Christmas Eve. We usually okay. do a big Christmas Eve and a small Christmas day. Okay. So they came over for Christmas Eve dinner. And uh, are you Italian? Yeah. Yeah. So you know how Italians do the yeah. the feast of seven, the fishes, seven yeah. fishes and things. So we do that as well. And they came over, and it was fantastic because they, you know, they were like so thrilled that we invited <laughs> them to our home, mm -hmm. and they just opened up and just talked about everything yeah. right and from there on all of a sudden his views from china skyrocketed wow. <laughs> <laughs> so they must have like told all their friends back home hey if you're gonna study abroad and you're coming at you make sure you sign up for this guy's class that's awesome yeah it's so cool so so he's got like you know and i think he i mean he loves all his students but yeah. i think like he always wants to he always takes that extra step to help them more if they need it. Yeah. And so now we have like a ton of these international students who are like, 
you know, Frank, I need a job. Can you hook me up with someone? Or do you know someone who's hiring? And That's so great. we've just been trying to like, you know, with certain students and, you know, what they're good at, we've been trying to yeah. like connect them with people. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely, I mean, I have, I have not connected to it whatsoever, so I can't really have an opinion on this, but I'm going to. And there's so many students that come from not just different parts of the country, but especially for SU from all Other over the states, world. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what there is up at SU, but especially during COVID times, I'd imagine it's got to be pretty scary to be up here. And I don't know if any organizations that kind of work to connect them or I'm sure there's a lot of stuff at SU, um, but just outside of like the whole university that work to like connect them with people and get them involved in projects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, I think that's something I think in the Syracuse community we can do better with. Yeah. You know, I feel like, I mean, over the years, I know that there's been a lot more interaction between the university and, and the city, especially when Nancy Cantor was in. Yeah. But now I feel like there's still more work to do, right? Right. Because um, when you have a pool of students from all over the states, from all over the country, mm. they're young, they have great ideas, they're excited, you know, they can contribute. Mm -hmm. um, I think when, if you tap into that market, it's, yeah. it just makes our community thrive. For sure. You know, like, and, you know, there's always people complaining, oh, there's nothing to do in Syracuse. I don't want to stay in Syracuse. Or even like kids who grow up here, they're like, right. I'm not staying here. Yeah. You know, so it's, I feel like it's another way to recruit folks to see what our city has yes. and you know there's there's great things we have here mm -hmm. and it's just a matter of like explaining to them and showing them right you know so yeah it was pretty interesting when i was at Kubal last year there was some business class and there was a student who needed to do like a internship at a local business local mm -hmm. company in syracuse and so she chose us Kubal. Mm -hmm. yeah and it was pretty uh it was great i was able to like kind of lead that program with her and she helped out for the marketing and the social media and I was just fascinated. I was like, your parents live where, you know, like to me, I never had that like go away to really, like really go away to college experience. Yeah. And so it was just like, uh, your parents sent you here, you know, <laughs> like, what do they think about Cafe Kubal? You know, but it was just, <laughs> it was just wild to be able to like kind of, and she was from Connecticut and it was mm -hmm. like, all right, well, what do you see that we should do? Like, how should our marketing, how should our, our social media accounts be different? Right. With, you know, should we offer something else in the cafes? And it was just really interesting to get that different perspective. Yeah. Um, but especially, like, considering, like, the growth of Syracuse. Um, a good friend of mine I just had beers with the other night who he he's originally from Buffalo. Uh, he's lived in Syracuse off and on for years, mm -hmm. and he's back in Syracuse. But he was just in Buffalo a couple years ago running a food truck and a restaurant out there. Mm -hmm. And just Tuesday we had beers at Talking Cursive. And he's been back in Syracuse since, I think, maybe December or January. Mm -hmm. And to hear him talk about his frustrations with how much Syracuse doesn't, like, could do but doesn't, uh -huh. it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Because you know? when you're kind of connected and involved uh, in, you know, especially, like, the restaurant community, mm -hmm. um, 
you just kind of go, go go with the, the flow. F- the flow, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I've, you know, there's ideas I've had of like, oh, we could do a food truck pop up there or on a late Friday night or mm-hmm. do something here. But to hear him, who's been in Buffalo, where it's just this insane uh, scene compared it's to us. It's a bigger city, too, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, a very, it's a much bigger city. Yeah. <laughs> um, just us expanding and Eat Local New York. And then on Instagram, going and following restaurants all over the state mm-hmm. and seeing what exists mm-hmm. in Buffalo and Rochester. Right. It's pretty intense to see like the growth that those cities have in their food scene compared yeah. to us. Right. Yeah. I always feel like Syracuse, we're always like the last to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Things would be happening in Rochester or Buffalo and then like we'll do it. Like, right. Three or four years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know. Are we just not risk takers or I don't know what takes us so long compared to other yeah. upstate cities sometimes. I don't know what it is either. Um, I mean... I won't say it's like an appreciation, like, I won't say like, we're so connected to our past, because I'm Mm -hmm. sure that there's plenty of other cities like Buffalo and Rochester connected to their past. But um, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is that makes us so far behind the times. (laughs) Uh, But we are. It's the snow. (laughs) It may be, but then Buffalo gets... Buffalo gets it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I've always wondered, because... We actually love, we love to go to Rochester quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle lives there. So we, you know, we go visit him and he's also a chef. So oh, cool. I, I've been visiting him for, my husband calls it my ninja training. <laughs> you know, Cause he's been, he's been in the business for like 30 years. Yeah. Um, so he's been just showing me like things, ways to do things, That's ways cool. to save costs, ways to, you know, make things better or change things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, we go to Rochester quite a bit, and then, you know, we also go to Albany, and we go to yeah. Buffalo as well. And yeah. we'll see things going on there, and we're like, why don't we have this, you know? Yeah. Why don't we have this? <laughs> right. So. Yeah. I mean, we just got a barcade for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, then they and got the shut down. And the state just said, no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's kind of screwed up what happened with them, because a restaurant in Albany blew them in. Really? Yeah. I don't know if this is supposed to be public, but it's going to be. So they had opened. They had reached out to the state and Uh said, you know, listen, we have arcade games, but we were distancing them. We're putting uh, sanitizing wipes right next to all of them. There's stools, so they have to sit down. Like, we're walking through everybody through. like, And the the state told them no, I'm assuming? The state told them it's fine. Oh, the state told them it was fine? The state for their... for three live soft openings, they had said, it's okay. You're taking these precautions. Mm-hmm. They're distanced. They have to sit down. Good job. Right. Do your thing. Um, the night that they, their first night, like open, open, they were open and they got a call from somebody at the restaurant saying like, hey, are your arcade games turned on to play? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, come on down. And they said, well, actually, we're, uh, we own a barcade in Albany and the state told us that we couldn't open up. And that we couldn't have the arcade games uh, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so they said, oh, well, the state told us that we could. And so they got up the phone and that restaurant immediately called the state and said, there's a restaurant in Syracuse that has their arcade games turned on. That is so uncool. And so somebody from the state called the Three Lives like right after and said, you have to shut your arcade games down immediately. Oh, that's so uncool. That's a story I heard. I'm, I'm, I believe that's true because the person, you know, is connected and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh. Yeah, I know. Speaking of which, have you been to Mr. Chow in Buffalo? No. I yeah. so I used to work in Buffalo. Uh-huh. Um, but I had a terrible job. And so I really <laughs> <laughs> strings of terrible jobs. Yeah, I do. Uh, but I really did. I lived in Syracuse and worked in Buffalo. I'd go so you're out commuting there, every day. I would get I'd stay at an Airbnb or a hotel. Uh-huh. And so but I worked like eight to ten every day. And mm-hmm. so my food consumption. Eight to ten every yeah. day? Yeah. What were you doing? I was the regional director for Metro Mattress for their Buffalo You worked those crazy hours? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was awful. And then you would just be on call all the time. Did they pay you well? Yeah, I got paid well, um, but I did, uh, but I had to, like, the hotel or the Airbnb was on my dime. <gasps> but I had a, I mean, it was a very well-paying job. Mm-hmm. They covered a lot of expenses. Mm-hmm. I had actually, I met my wife, now wife, we met at the end of October, and in, like, mid-November, I got that promotion. So. Oh, my goodness. And so we stayed together through that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but so my food consumption in, in Buffalo was really like uh, pizzerias <laughs> and Tim Hortons was pretty much what I, in Five Guys. They're really, I feel like they're really thriving in their food scene. They are. Yeah, they're taking risks, they're yeah. putting in different things, new stuff. I mean, mm. you know, and they have, they have a growing um, refugee immigrant community too. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. They're, um, they, have a, they have a handful of... Um, Burmese restaurants, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, they've got, they really do have some great restaurants out there and mm-hmm. huge restaurants. I never knew how many, like, Thin Man Brewery, I always mention them, because I didn't know that Thin Man, this beer that I've had at these festivals and I really love, was in Buffalo. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, so, so I mean, and a lot of the restaurants that are local independent restaurants, their Instagram accounts have got, like, tens of thousands of followers on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll summarize uh, the differences between Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse, and Syracuse? food scene okay. in this one story. Okay. Um, we do everything for restaurants for free mm-hmm. at Eat Local. So unless you're a paid marketing account, everything's for free. So okay. uh, it's like they can join our card for free. When they join the card, we do photography, photo shoots for them for free, videos. Really? Everything's free for the oh restaurant. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And uh, You know you can make money off that, right? I can. <laughs> <laughs> but it is hard, and I don't really want to, like, uh, be that in that race for it, you know? Because right? um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of great photog- food photographers and stuff like that in Syracuse. In Syracuse. And a lot mm-hmm. of great video production companies in Syracuse. And so, um, so everything we do for them is free. Uh, and we don't go out and like, there are some Instagrammers in Syracuse that will go out to a restaurant and when they get their check, they'll be like, but don't you know that I have this Instagram account and didn't you see I tagged you? Uh, so some of that, a little bit, not a lot of it, but a little bit of that exists in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a big following. We've got 16,000 followers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so if you, so no restaurant in Syracuse, except for like one has ever reached out to us and said, uh, if we give you this item or if we ha- come in and invite you for dinner, uh-huh. uh, will you make a post about us? Right. The only ones that have done that has been Turning Stone. But do you feel like maybe they don't know? Because I had, I had no idea. I never knew you did that. Um, well, I guess the, it's not that we do it for free that they should know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But like there's a thing like an Instagram influencer, right? Right, right. Okay. So that exists everywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's people that that's, they make millions of dollars and that's their career. It's Mm -hmm. just to go around and get paid to take pictures of people's places. Right. My point is that no one in Syracuse, like the restaurant community in Syracuse doesn't know how to do that. They don't know. They're to not con- savvy. <laughs> right. They don't know to like, oh, this person has 10,000 followers. Maybe if I give them a dinner for free, they would make a post about me and I could reach their 10,000 followers. Uh-huh. The, like, the first week of us being Eat Local New York State and following places in Rochester and Buffalo, I started getting calls and DMs like, hey, if I send you this four pack of beer, will you just make a post like about it? Like immediately? Immediately. Oh, wow. Rochester too? Yeah. In Albany? Yeah. Wow. So like yesterday, I got a, my wife texted me. She was like, I just got a package here delivered to you at the house, but I had to show that I was 21. What did you order? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was that beer that this brewery in Rochester DM'd uh-huh. and said, if we send you this four pack, will you make a post about it? It's like, yes, I will. Gladly. Wow. So you're saying us Syracuse folks are slow? Yes. <laughs> like too That's slow? The point. Even myself, <laughs> myself included. This isn't everybody else. I'm also slow. I'm behind the times and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's that's really the difference. The difference. Like that's a good, I, I feel like analogy. that's a good analogy yeah. of really what separates them. So, mm. yeah. I mean, hopefully, I don't, I don't say that because I want more restaurants to start giving me free food. <laughs> um, it's actually sure, right. sure. That's actually one of the rules of our business. Is we in Syracuse, uh, we won't take free food. You know, we won't because we we don't want to like. I don't want that reputation of running around town and being like, "Hey, feed me for free, and I'll make a post about you." In some ways, it's not a really bad reputation. It's it's, it's like you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was wanting to bring you a bun me, but oh. but I don't have any. Yeah. Um, so uh, so my whole thing with bun me right now is mm. I have a problem finding someone to help me produce like Vietnamese baguettes locally. Yes. Okay. Uh, but fortunately, um, just yesterday I've been able to connect with um, Scratch. Yeah. And the baker there, um, Corey, dropped off some um, bread he just baked that's almost bun me like okay. um, for me to, to test and see if it would work. And then he was he was so cool. And then he said, you know, if you need me to alter it or change it or yeah. fix it or whatever, you know, we can work mm. on it. So it, t- it took a while because I was I tried bread baguettes from almost every single baker in Syracuse. Wow. Um and I got really sick <laughs> just because I don't eat much wheat. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know why I was, I was feeling really sick for two weeks. My, my body was off. My system was off. My hmm. stomach just felt bloated all the time. Yeah. And I went to the doctor and everything. And, you know, they took, ex- they took um, scans and such. And they were like, well, we see this and you're this and that and that. But, I mean, things I already knew. But right. there was nothing different. Right. Okay. And then... It hit me when my doctor said, "Have you been eating a lot of gluten?" And I was, and I've, my first response was, "I don't eat gluten because I eat, uh, you know, my diet's mostly rice based, yeah. you know. So I eat a lot of rice, I eat a lot of rice noodles, you know. Mm. And if I eat American food, it's you know lots of salad and protein, right? So then my husband just laughed because he looked at me. He's like, "Have you forgotten for two weeks we've been eating <laughs> bread every day, testing out your recipes?" And then it hit me. I was like, holy crap, I've been eating so much baguettes. But it took me so long. I tried baguettes everywhere. I even went down to 
Ithaca and tried out mm. um, Ithaca Bakery yeah. and their bread and everything like that. And finally, anyways, I am so thrilled that I've been able to connect with Scratch Bakehouse, and hopefully, we'll we'll find a recipe that that works. Yeah, um, that's but awesome. It's yeah. I was actually I was planning to bring some, but then I didn't have any bread that <laughs> like the Vietnamese style bread. Yeah, right? and so I almost I was like, should I just use the scratch bread and see if this works? But then I knew it wasn't exactly what I wanted yet. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'll just wait until I have because the folks I get. The bread from is um, so Vieng Dong mm-hmm. over on the north side. Yes. They've been around for what more than twenty five years. Well, that's how you pronounce it because I always pronounce it as Kai Dun. Kai Dun. Yeah. Oh no, no, you're talking about Giyuing. That's the cafe. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. But all they have is like the three banh mi. Banh mi. Yeah. Right. So they get their bread from Delarios. Yes. Yeah, but it's too. It's not banh mi like I what we're yeah. used to. It's too hard. Right. Right. Way too hard. Yeah. But Ving Dong, the grocery store mm. over on Townsend. So there's a Vietnamese grocery store on Townsend called Ving Dong. Yeah. There's another Vietnamese store over on Lodi called um, Tung A. Okay. So they both um, get. Vietnamese mm. French bread from New York City or Philly. Really? Yeah. So, but since COVID, it's not regular. Like you know, before yeah. they used to go every week, and it's very consistent, and you mm. get you can get your bread the way you want it. Yeah. But now, since COVID, I think I believe some of them only go every two weeks. Okay. Right. So he didn't have any more. Mm. I mean, like when I had my curbside takeout, you know, he ordered three hundred bun mi wow. from New York for me. So, but what I don't like about it is that. You know, I can't get it fresh every day. Right. You know, and I want something fresh every day. And yeah. um, I actually really love Ithaca Bakeries. Um, they had these demi baguettes, hmm. um, and they were really good. And but they don't deliver to Syracuse. And they said, you know, maybe we can meet you halfway. You know, hmm. um, and I was like, no, I really want to go with someone local. And finally, Scratch. Yeah, that's great. Me and I met Corey, <laughs> and I'm really excited because I really want. Someone local to produce my bread. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Who, uh, so obviously besides your own, who has the best banh mi in Syracuse? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's kind of hard to say just because I feel like for most of us around here, Mm -hmm. we don't have the correct banh mi to begin with. Okay. Right? So all the banh mi's around, it's more just, you know, how they season their meats or what they do mm-hmm. with their meats. Um, but I, I would agree. I mean, Kiyuing's banh mi is pretty good in the sense yeah. that the seasoning's wonderful. You know, their pickled stuff is good. Is that the um, one on the corner? That, yeah, okay. the one on the corner of butternut and how um, you, salina. How do you correctly pronounce it? Kiyuing. Okay. So I call it Kai Din. I know. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> well, that's like totally different. Guy doing yeah, and gi yuing is, is like hilarious. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, you know, when I was a student, I used to order there all the time just because it was the closest thing I can get. Right. You know, I think, you know, some people don't order there because they say the banh mi is not right. You know, Vietnamese people yeah. are very finicky about our French baguette. You yeah. know, and we don't call it French baguette. We call it Vietnamese baguette. Right. Right. Because a French, uh, correct uh, Vietnamese baguette is like this weird hybrid of like a French and an Italian, right? Yes. It's like supposed to be a little hard and crusty like a French baguette, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to have that really like nice kind of soft texture of, inside. of an Italian. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's it's hard because, well, what's hard about it is that, you know, it, it kind of, it, it's 
a baguette in the sense that it's the, the crust is similar to a French baguette, yeah. right? But it's got that crunch. Yeah. But not too hard. Yeah. Right? So you don't want the crunch to be really hard. Mm. It's supposed to kind of be like crunch, not right. like crunch, yeah. you know? And then the inside, the key to the inside, and I think this is where a lot of places don't measure up, mm. is... The inside is light and fluffy mm -hmm. and very little dough. Yeah. I mean, pretty much if you go to Vietnam, mm -hmm. uh, Vietnamese banh mi is really the inside is just a place to put all your meats and your vegetable. Mm. The, they don't care about the dough inside. Yeah. They don't want the dough inside. Right. You know, so that's why the Vietnamese baguettes in Vietnam, the inside, there's very little dough. Okay. It just serves as a placement so you can spread your pate on it. Gotcha. And you can put all your meat and veggies in it. Mm. So it's um, mm. so sometimes some of us here, what we do is we take all the dough inside and throw it out. Yeah. You know, or save it to make some other dish, mm -hmm. right? And we, we just don't want it. Mm. Tons of dough inside. Hmm. Yeah. So that is a true Vietnamese. This is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna reset these again just because I don't want to run out of time on the memory card before we get into the last part. Uh, that's so interesting. I like. I mean, listen, I know nothing about Vietnamese food. Uh, but, but if you eat a, if you eat the bun mee and you like it and you have good taste. So I love that bun. <laughs> uh huh. When I first when I first uh, actually, sure. Um, when I first had that bun mee, I had also watched. The documentary called uh, City of Gold, uh -huh. which is about Jonathan Gold, who was a, cr a food critic for the LA Times. Mm -hmm. He's since passed away, but he won uh, the Nobel Prize for his food writing. Oh, so okay. Very talented. Cool. And, um, and there's this uh, famous road. Of Vietnamese restaurants? It's just... Oh, it's called restaurant. Bosa. Yes. Yeah, okay. Bosa in, in L.A. So he had, like, spent an entire year going to and eating at every single one of those restaurants. Every single, every one. single one? Oh, my God. Like, but you know the, the deal in L.A., though, is if you have a shop and you're not good, you're out of business. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's so competitive. And also in L.A., it's different than other places too because Vietnamese folks there they specialize in whatever they're good at yeah. so let's say if they specialize in banh mi that's all they sell is banh right. mi and if they specialize in pho that's all they sell is pho yeah. and that is exactly how it is in Vietnam okay. like in Vietnam you don't open a restaurant and have like 10 different items right. you sell like one or two items but that's your best yeah yeah so yeah and so like when I was first when I first had that banh mi I watched this documentary and He's known for his writing of like researching the hell out of all of these cultures and dishes and histories of, and uh -huh. you know, uh, he had like deer penis was one of like the dishes he had at someone's <laughs> restaurant. And so one of his famous articles and why people found him so relatable is because he would open up his, the, the review of, if you're like me, you've always found deer penis to be a little tough and stringy, you know? And so like, <laughs> no, like, but who else has ever had deer penis before? You know, right, like right. very few people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I watched that documentary and I went and had this banh mi, it's like, I want to be like Jonathan Gould. I'm going to go research the history of the banh mi, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and I did for like 30 minutes one afternoon. And then all of a sudden I was an expert on banh mi. So <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but I never knew there was another place in Syracuse that had a bon me besides these, you know, like the chef and the cook had a bon me at one point. It was uh-huh. awful, you know, like, you know, different well, things like all that. The, I mean, I know um, Noodle House, they have bon me. They do. And they're, I don't know where they get their bread from. It's definitely a lot softer yeah. than, um, I'm not going to pronounce it, uh, <laughs> the, the other place, <laughs> the cafe. Um, Let's say it yeah. together. Gee. Zwing. <laughs> one more time. Zwing. Gee. Gi. Zuying. Z. Uh, there you go. Yeah, whatever. Zui. Okay. Because it's D U D U Y E N, and w- anytime you there's a D mm-hmm. with a U Y, yeah, it's not pronounced as a D. Okay. Just keep that in mind. If it's a D and there's a U Y, then it becomes U instead gotcha. of D. Okay. There yeah. we go. So. I took. Uh, I don't know if you know Anthony D'Onofrio, who used to be at Modern Malt. I don't know him personally, okay. but I know about him. So he yeah. works at Gearhars. Oh, he does now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he's been there for maybe two years. And um, so we'll go out to eat a lot for lunch and stuff. But we're always talking food. Yeah. And he had never been there for a banh mi. So I got them one day. And uh, I was like, what do you think? He was like, I loved it, except now my gums are bleeding. You know, because <laughs> it's hard. It is really yeah. hard, crusty bread. Yeah. Right. And the Vietnamese noodle house, they it's, it's definitely softer, for sure. Right. Um, yeah. So they actually, their bread, I know, they get from Ving Dong, who gets it from New York. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, mm. I think the challenges we both have is the fact that it's not fresh. So that's right. why you, you have to freeze it, and yeah. then you, you let it thaw, and then you bake it back right. up. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming, depending on how long it's been around, it could be more crunchy or less yeah. crunchy. Right. right, for sure. So, I mean, that's why I... You know, I'm like, I got to find someone local. I need to find someone local. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how did this come about of you wanting to have a restaurant in uh, the Salt City Market? Actually, to be honest, I, I have never wanted to have a restaurant. <laughs> 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 Not interested at all. Um, well, mostly because I, growing up, my, um, my mom and my aunts and my uncles, mm-hmm. uh, they ran a cafe, mm-hmm. right? And they also had like a catering business on the side. Okay. Um, so they all had full-time jobs. You know, it was something our family did on the side for extra income, mm. you know, because they came to this country and, you know, we didn't have anything yeah. and they all worked minimum wage jobs. Okay. So just imagine back then in the 80s, you're making $3 an hour hmm. and you're supporting a family of three or four. Wow. So my mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, everyone typically always worked like one or two jobs. I mean, my dad growing up, I don't think my dad ever worked less than two or three jobs. Hmm. Like he always had two or three jobs. So the cafe was, was a way for the family to make extra income. But then also, you know, like it was also a way to bring Vietnamese food that a lot of Vietnamese people missed. Mm. But at the time in Lincoln, Nebraska, there weren't any restaurants yet. Mm. Um, or very, you know, there, there were very few. I think yeah. at the time when my family opened the cafe, there was one Vietnamese restaurant mm. in town. Um, and I think my... My mom and my aunts, they just got really sick of, like, you know, not having food that they grew up with. Yeah. Right? So, luckily, my mom is an incredible cook, and she makes everything from scratch. Hmm. You know, everything. Yeah. So... What was funny was that at it was actually a cafe billiard hall, okay. right? So it's you know Vietnamese people love billiards more than pool. Really? Yeah. So they they would have you know tons of young guys who would come in and play billiards, and 
they didn't make money off of the fees from that. Mm-hmm. They banked it with all their food. Because hmm. my mom would make, you know, pho. She would make banh mi. She would make all the snickety snacky stuff that people love growing up in yeah. Vietnam. And it just went through. I mean, they just, hmm. they just did really well with that. Um, and I would help out at home. Pretty much we were like their... Um, test tasters, okay. I mean, taste testers, but we, we got so sick of eating stuff <laughs> just because, you know, my mom would make the bao, like mm-hmm. Vietnamese ban bao is different from Chinese ban bao. Okay. Um, the, the, you know, it's bigger, it's, mm. you know, the fillings are different, you know, the dough slightly different. Okay. Um, but my mom used to make like, you know, easily in one night, she'll make like a hundred ban bao. Wow. Right. To sell. But in the beginning, it was a lot of experimenting just mostly because in Vietnam, they're used to certain tools. Yeah. Right. And they're used to also cooking on coals or wood. Mm. Right. And the fire's different, yeah. you know, and then your ingredients are fresh and everything's, you know, here you kind of have to substitute what you don't have mm. that would work best with this dish. Hmm. So... When my mom was experimenting with her ban bao, us kids were the ones who were like, here, eat this, try this, eat this, to the point where I never, ever wanted to eat ban bao ever again. <laughs> so all her deformed ban baos we would have to eat. And then she'd make, you know, the sesame balls, you yeah. know, and the ones that weren't good, we were like, you guys eat this, we're not throwing this away, you know. <laughs> Nothing was ever thrown away. And then, you know, she did the ban mi, she did the pho, everything. And so uh, growing up around it, mm-hmm. you know, I was always helping in some way, whether it's like chopping stuff or bringing things in or, you know, taste testing and stuff like that. So I was like, I don't ever want to have anything to do with a food business, you know, because I'm just not interested. Right. Right. It's so much work. And um, and then Hmm. over the years. The thing about me is the fact that I I love to eat. Right. And I love to eat. Not just Vietnamese food, but I love to eat everything. You know, Mm. I love soul food. I love, you know, Mediterranean food. I love Italian food. I love everything. And I love trying everything and then finding places that are different or unique and or they do something very special with a particular dish. Yeah. Um, So I've always like been into the food scene in terms of like just, you know, trying everything out and going to places and, Mm. you know, tasting things. Um, And I mean, it's crazy as it sounds. Sometimes my husband and I like before... We would we would drive all the way up to um, Kingston hmm. and eat and then go home because <laughs> at the time there weren't many great Indian restaurants around here. Yeah, and there was a place in Kingston called the um, Gosh, what was it? The Indian was it Doors or Cafes? I can't remember. Hmm. But there was this wonderful Indian restaurant up there, hmm. and we would just drive up there and eat and then go home. Wow. You know? Or we would drive up to Toronto or we'll go to New York and eat, yeah. you know, and then spend a day there and then go home the next day. Yeah. You know? Like, we, we would do that often. And I think um, originally how it sort of started was Adam Sudman, yeah. who, you know, is the market manager for Salt City Market, Um he used to do these pop-ups called yeah. My Lucky Tummy, right? And I got to know Adam through a friend of mine, um, Julie, who is a good friend with his wife. Okay. Um, so Adam, in the beginning, you know, he was trying to find out the food scene here. And, you know, he also, like, tapped into, like, a lot of the refugee community because, you know, they provided other types of food yeah. besides, like, you know, what we currently have in Syracuse. Um hmm. 
and we would talk about food and things like that. But you know, he was like, "Hey, you should cook for one of my events. You should cook for my." Event. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." But I, I never did. Yeah. Um, mostly just because I had a full time job, I had a kid, I was just so busy, and I really didn't have the time, mm-hmm. you know. And then one summer, I was home with my mom, and my mom makes this particular dish called um, blood sausage. Okay, right, and it's she makes it from scratch, you know, with using. Um, you know, fresh blood. Hmm. I mean, like from the the um, the pig. Yeah. And we get it in Nebraska. Like you can get fresh blood from the farm, local farmers. Yeah. It was. It's not a big deal. Like my mom do it all the time. Yeah. Um, and because we have such a huge Vietnamese community, that fresh blood comes in hmm. daily. So you don't have to worry about fresh blood not being so fresh, right? right? And so I went home that summer. And my mom made. Um, it's called. Um, it's blood sausage with all these spices and herbs in it. Mm-hmm. And then she makes it with a kanji. Mm. And you eat it with all the organ parts mm. of a pig. Yeah. Right? And it's so delicious. I mean, I know it sounds gross, but it's <laughs> really delicious. I'm sure, right? yeah. Just yeah. because of all the herbs and spices and things in it, you right. you know, it just tastes like a sausage with all these wonderful flavors in it. Mm. Right? And so people, you know, unless you knew it was blood sausage, you wouldn't even yeah. have an idea it's blood sausage. Right? right? Um, so I told... I can't came back from my trip and I was like, hey, Adam, guess what, you know, my mom cooked and I was telling him what it was. He's like, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. You know, he's like, can you make that for my, you know, for a lucky <laughs> tummy event? And I was like, I don't know if I can make it because, you know, I don't make it that often. Right. You know, I know how to make it, but, you know, I'd have to ask my mom. So I told my mom about it and my mom's like, okay, I'm game. You know, I'll come up and help you. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. So then the next challenge was finding fresh blood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam's just like, I don't know. Let's see. We'll talk to some local farmers. Anyways, but um, I actually tested out the recipe and went to the local Vietnamese stores. Okay. Right? And they have blood, but it's, you know, it's like in the fridge and yeah. it's not so fresh. And when I made it, it just didn't taste good because mm-hmm. the blood wasn't fresh enough. Yeah. So it doesn't offer that, like, sweetness to it, okay. you know? Yeah. Um, so Adam went out of his way to find someone. Mm. Anyways, he found a farmer who said he can provide us the fresh blood, mm. and it was all on the, the DL, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because he's like, I don't, I don't know if this would pass. Like. <laughs> but anyways... Um, I was thrilled, yeah. and my mom was so happy. So mm. she flew out that weekend and helped mm. me make it, and that's how it sort of started me doing food. Wow! You know, and then um, you know, Adam had another lucky tummy event, and he's like, "Why don't you do a dessert?" You know, and mm. he's like, "You know, there's the those green jelly looking thing." I see at the store I bought it, but it doesn't taste so great. I'm sure you you make it from scratch. And I was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Are you talking about?" Banyalug, you know, banyalug is like this dessert that's made with pandan leaves mm-hmm. and the inside is um, filled with um, coconut and um, mug beans, mm. right? And so it looks like jello, but it's not jello, yeah. right? So anyways, um, then the next thing for Adam, I was like, well, I can't make that dessert unless we have fresh pandan leaves because <laughs> the frozen one just won't taste good. Yeah. And he's like, fresh pandan leaves? <laughs> Like, let me see what I can do. So he ended up getting some from New York. And have you have you ever smelled pandan leaves? No. You haven't? Oh, my God. It's like, it smells so 
luxurious. It's mm. incredible. It's like the Chanel of vanilla, mm. right? Wow. So if you ever have fresh pandan leaves, like you smell it, it smells so good. It's <laughs> it's pretty much like in Vietnam, we use it for a lot of desserts. It's like okay. our version of vanilla, okay. you know, but it's a better because mm. it gives us amazing green color, yeah. right? Mm. And it's natural, right? Yeah. So you're not using food coloring. Um, so I made banya lung for the second Lucky Tummy event. Mm. And then from there, you know... Uh, there was they needed another entrepreneur for with love, yeah. right? And then at first I was like, no, I really don't have time because I'm working. And mm. even though I, with love at the time, they were like, you know, you can come share your recipes, show us how you make your food, but then you only have to be there part time. Like you don't have to, you know, at most like ten or twelve hours, right? So yeah. you're not going to have to be there all the time. And I was like, well, that might work. And then my husband and I were talking about it, and Frank was like, you know what? This is a way to test if you should do the restaurant business or not. And he goes, you might just hate it. You know, yeah. he's like, you're going to do, you're going to share your recipes, but you're going to run a little restaurant. You know, you're going to cook, you're going to do front of house, back of house. And then you're going to find out like, maybe this is not for me. Yeah. He goes, it's either that or you might love it. And then we're really screwed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Right? So I was like, okay. I was like, you know, a six months commitment. <laughs> I'll test it out. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just loved it, hmm. you know. Um, I loved it mostly because I was use, I was making dishes that are pretty special to m- to my family yeah. because these are recipes that are, belong to my mom and my aunts and my grandma, hmm. and they were very southern. Yeah. Um, so my mom's from Jiayin, which okay. is one of the cities in the Mekong Delta. Okay, and they, you know, their cooking is slightly different in the sense that Jiayin has a large Cambodian and Chinese population too. Hmm. So our food is very mixed. Like yeah. it's it's Vietnamese, but we mix it with some of the Cambodian influences and Chinese influences. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. after my stint at With Love, I I just really loved it, and I started finding myself, you know, at work thinking of recipes, you know. So then I was like, this is not good. <laughs> and I told my parents about it, and they were just like, no, 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 stick with your day job. You know, you've got benefits. You know, you've been there a while. You know, stick with your day job. Don't go. And I was like, yeah, it's a bit of a risk. Yeah. Um, but when Salt City Market was recruiting, you know, Frank's like, oh, just try it. You know, you might not get in, you know, you never know. Right. I mean, there's competitors, like tons of competitors. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll fill out an application and participate Mm. and do this and that. And, and I, you know, I got selected and then Mm. I really loved the people who participated. I mean, like my competitors, like Sarah with, um, firecracker Thai kitchen and, you know, Latoya Mm. from Irma's Island and Ewing from, cake bar and um a handful of other folks i they were just just really wonderful people yeah. i love their food i love them as human beings and we bonded quite a bit and and i think that's the thing about folks in the restaurant industry like you're all doing the same type of work yeah. and you really you hmm. know like it's a great it's like i i don't know it's kind of weird to say but I'm used to working at a newspaper and there's a lot of camaraderie in the newsroom, you know, like, you know, editors help you with your stories, fellow colleague reporters, you know, kind of give you tips on, you know, where to find information. Um, And, and especially like when we work on an election night, everyone just comes together Mm -hmm. and just bang it out and, you know, and you just feel great. And I feel like the restaurant industry has that, but in a different way, right? It doesn't revolve around news, but it revolves around food. Right. Right. And, and also another thing, too, is like, you know, in the restaurant industry, you have people 
who eat your food and they might love your food and rave about it. And then you have people who complain and don't like you and then give you such a hard time. I mean, it's the same thing in the newspaper industry. You have readers who love stories and come right. call and compliment. And then you have readers who are like, <laughs> what were you thinking? Like, why are you writing that? And, you know, calling you out on stuff. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's definitely two different professions, but in some ways they are similar in a sense that you're dealing with people. Right. Right. Yeah. So. I love that. Yeah. So my parents now, they're like, you're crazy. You are out of your <laughs> mind, you know. And my mom, one day she, you know, she kind of, she teared up and she was just like, your dad and I worked so hard, you know. Dad always had like two or three jobs, you know. I had the cafe and then I had the job and, you know, we worked so hard to make sure you guys all go to college and, and, and now you're doing, you want to do food? What is wrong with you? You know, and I think it was really hard for me to, to respond. At first, I, I didn't have anything to say to her because mm-hmm. um, I felt bad. But then it, it clicked because I said to my mom, I was like, wait a minute, mom. You know, I am doing this because I want to do this, yeah. right? It's a choice. It's my choice to make. Mm. You and dad didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice when you worked those long hours at a factory, right. you know? Uh, you didn't have a choice when you wanted to go to college and pursue a degree and, you know, do better. Right. You didn't have a choice. You took certain jobs to support the family and to make us, you know, make it affordable for us so we can go to college and so on. And so I went to college. I had a career. And now it's my choice to choose what I want to do. Right. So in some ways, I feel like you shouldn't feel bad, mom, <laughs> because you are giving your daughter an opportunity to make a choice to do what she wants. Yeah. And that is something you and my dad and all my aunts and uncles didn't have, hmm. right? So to me, it's not like it's not like a horrible decision. <laughs> it's definitely a risk-taking decision. Yeah. But but I, I guess I'm at an age where now where I'm like, you know, what else do I want to do? Right. Do I want to do the same thing I've done for years, or or do I want to do something I'm actually really really passionate about? How old are you? You really want to know? As <laughs> uh, as Woody Woody Allen would say, how many birthdays have you had? <laughs> How old do you think I am? Take a guess. Well, uh, to be quite honest, from your picture and this, I don't mean this to sound bad, but from your picture on the uh, on the website for mm-hmm. the Salt City Market, I thought that I was meeting like a sixty year old woman <laughs> who's been like in the restaurant industry for her entire life. A sixty year old. I legitimately thought that. <laughs> wow, I must yeah. I must look really young for sixty year old. Yeah, you definitely look young. I am forty five this Shut year. Shut the f- no, you're not. Yes, Are you kidding me? Yeah. Meeting you, I would have guessed now, like in your late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> Holy cow! Wow. Yeah, so it's you know, I think when you're in your forties, yeah, you're at that age where you're like, okay, you know, what's next? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if I love my journalism career, it's like I'm going to retire on this. Yeah, which is hard these days because you know, not right. like newspapers or yeah, TV stations sure. stay in business for a long time. But um, I feel like you know, life is very short. Yeah, and I think hmm. everything I've been through. You know, when my cousin passed away recently, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandfather died last year and he was 103. Wow. You know, I just felt like, you know, sometimes opportunities come your way. Yeah. And if you don't grab it, you regret it. Yeah. So I feel like Hmm. I feel like everything kind of lined up perfectly. And it's also another way for me to really um, preserve my family's recipes. Yeah. Because I feel like. If I didn't do this, I wouldn't be writing a 
bunch of the shit down. Right. You know? Because yeah. it was just like always like word of mouth, word of mouth, and just, you know, pinch yeah. here, dash here. But now I actually have to like write it down. Mm. You know, and I and I love I mean, I love food, and I, I'm sure you're the same way in a sense that if you love to eat something, you want everyone else to try it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, uh, with quarantine, I was cooking a lot more, but I was, like, calling my dad even and saying, like, hey, what's that barbecue sauce recipe, and getting him to send it to me. Yeah. And making that, I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, my, my parents are in their, like, mid to late 60s, and I was thinking to myself, like, there's going to be one day that they're not going to be around, and who's going to have dad's barbecue sauce recipe um and we did they my uh mother made a book a recipe book of like my grandmother's recipes Mm -hmm. and they gave them to everybody in the family one year but you know i was just thinking like i do need to kind of hold on to some of this stuff um and you know i'm 30 30 i'm gonna be 34 next month oh you're a baby yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we still don't have kids you know or anything like that my wife's 31 kids later right you're a man doesn't matter yeah that's true Uh, we, I've never wanted to be like the 60 year old dad at graduation though. Um, <laughs> but, uh, our plan is to move into a new home in the spring and then start, you know, start at that family, point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, thinking about like things that I've wanted, you know, it's like you're getting older, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, right. I'm still, still have plenty of life ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're, you're things, you're still getting older. And so it's like, all right, now it's time is kind of becoming more sensitive as you get older. It's like, it is. you have to choose, you know, uh, and some of the things you thought that you were going to do, maybe you're not going to do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought one day I was going to, you know, be a very wealthy millionaire and I could live wherever I wanted <laughs> off of to. Mattress. Exactly. <laughs> off of, off of that mattress store behind <laughs> pier one imports. Um, yeah. Uh, but now I've kind of come to the realization that's probably not going to happen. You know, I'm maybe one day I'm not going to have a, you know, luxury apartment in New York City and a mansion in Hawaii and a place <laughs> in Los Angeles. Hey, when you're young, you got to dream big. Exactly. Because right? then you, you, you work hard to try to get to that dream. Right. And if you're young and you don't have dreams, then yeah. what's the point? Now I'm just looking for free food from Buffalo and Rochester restaurants. <laughs> Yeah. So funny. Well, thank you so much for coming down here. It really was a pleasure. Uh, I love talking to you, and you know, hour and almost hour and fifteen minutes it was a great. Sorry, it took up so much of your time. No, that was great. <laughs> yeah, and they can. Where can they follow you on Facebook for your restaurant? Uh, just mamahigh.com. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And, and you're also, on Instagram and Facebook. Yes. Awesome. Yes. So. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there it is. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Local New York Podcast. Again, do me a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the Local New York Podcast. And don't forget to find us online at eatlocalnystate.com. Thanks so much. We're going to see you at the next episode of the Local New York Podcast. (music) 